Hello, and welcome to PW's LitCast, the podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors writing in a variety of genres. I'm Lenny Picker, and today I'm speaking with Michelle Cox, the author of A Child Lost, a Henrietta and Inspector Howard novel published by She Writes Press, the sponsor of today's podcast. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. Would you start us with a brief excerpt from the book? Sure, I'd love to. Come on, Davis. Give me something better than this. I don't have anything better than this, Detective Davis exhaled. Look, there aren't many real cases to begin with, and I can't go giving them all to you under the table, can I? I'd be helping myself right out of a job. All right, all right, Clive said, waving his hand at him, as if to sap the sob story. He rubbed his brow and tried to think. A spiritualist case? This smelled rotten. He had been hoping for something open and shut, like a stolen car or something. Was it really wise to involve Henrietta in such a, what would you call it, vaporous type of case? Something told him it wasn't a good idea. But what choice did he have? If he and Henrietta were to really operate a detective agency, it naturally followed that it was going to be fraught with danger and nastiness, which is why he had always been less than enthused about the whole thing in the first place. It was never going to be some sort of gay scavenger hunt that Henrietta always seemed to think it would be. Detective work, by its nature, involved the uglier sides of humanity. Theft, murder, rape, kidnapping, blackmail, and every other kind of vice. Why couldn't Henrietta be happy strolling about the grounds of Highbury and entertaining his mother's bridge club, he groaned. But he made himself stop before he got too far down that line of thought. He could have had any number of women who would have been content to sit at home and knit but it had been Henrietta Spunk, he reminded himself, that had originally attracted him. Her sense of adventure, coupled with her naivete, had been irresistible. They were still, actually, though she was sadly lacking in both at the moment. Okay, he sighed again. What do you got on it? Without spoiling the plot, can you put that passage into context and tell us who was talking, who the characters were who were referred to? Sure. So the two protagonists of the series are really Clive Howard and his wife, Henrietta von Harmon. And since this is book five, I'm not going to tell you a whole bunch about their, you know, their backstory, but they are a detective couple and they are sort of feeling their way towards whether they want to really do this sort of detective agency thing. Henrietta, at the start of this book, is very depressed, um, again, for a reason I'm not going to mention. I don't want to spoil it. But Clive is, is, even though he's hesitant to want to start a detective agency with his wife, as you know, because of, as I've read, it's not a nice business. He's desperate to distract her from her current woes. So he is asking a detective friend of his for some kind of case that they can investigate. And Detective Davis is offering him the case of a spiritualist who is operating on the edge of town and people have been complaining that she's stealing their stealing their valuables and et cetera, et cetera. So Davis wants them to go investigate this. And of course, this is not really what Clive had in mind. So that's a little bit of the setup. Okay. And could you tell our listeners the time and place of this novel? 
Oh, sure. It's um, the series is set in Chicago in the 1930s. So um, it's that era between the wars. And there's a lot of subplots and a lot of side characters. It's really kind of like a Downton Abbey meets Miss Fisher's murder mysteries. So you have a little bit of a mystery in each book that resolves by the end. But this is really a progressive series. It's really more about um, the characters developing over time. It's a big saga. And so some of the series with some of the characters takes place in that sort of gritty Great Depression Chicago. And then some of it takes place in the very wealthy northern suburbs where Clive's ancestral home is. So you kind of have the, the up and the down. And what led you to choose that uh, that era, Chicago in the 30s? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, my secret affinity is really, or was before I started writing this series, was the 40s. But I based the the series, so Henrietta von Harman, who's the, the main protagonist, she's actually based on a real woman that I met while I was working in a nursing home on the northwest side of Chicago. And this woman had this amazing life in Chicago in the 30s and 40s. Um, she was a bombshell. She used to describe herself to me as um, having a man-stopping body and a personality to go with it. So I just, I loved that detail and I loved all of her stories of, of the weird jobs that she had in Chicago in the thirties. And the, the best one was um, that she was a Dutch girl at the Chicago World's Fair. And I just loved that detail so much. Um, and then when I started writing, you know, book one, which is a girl like you, I didn't think that this was going to be a series. So I thought, well, you know what? I can write one book in the 30s because I really want to incorporate all these weird jobs. But then it turned into a series in this. So then I started, you know, having to to delve deeper into into the 30s. But that's fine. It's, it's actually, I'm actually grateful now because... Um, you know, there's not a, there's not as many books out there about that era. There's a ton of World War Two, and now we're even seeing a lot of World War One. But that Great Depression era, that's that's very fascinating to me. And why do you think there have been fewer books set in that period? You know, I th I'm not sure. I think maybe because there's there's a certain um, romanticism about, you know, writing during the wars. And there's certainly a lot of intrigue. I mean, you can go in a million different directions from a million different um, viewpoints, which we've seen. But I think writing about that 30s era, it's almost like a lost era. You know, that's sort of a, a gray and, and brown is what you kind of picture in your mind. But really, there's so many stories of um, equally valiant stories of like survival and, and what it took for people to get through during that time. So um, maybe it's not initially attractive, but I think when you really, you know, get past the surface, there's a lot there. So apart from the fact that you originally intended to sort of set one book in the 1930s, how else have the series and the characters changed from your initial conception? Well, that's a good question. I mean, because I, you, you know, before I started writing, you'd always hear writers say, oh, the characters took over. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, right. You know, never really believing that characters kind of take on a life of their own. And and I have been proved wrong because several characters like, for example, Elsie who was Henrietta's younger sister. By the time we get to books four and five, she has equal her story has equal playtime 
to actually Henrietta's story. And in the beginning, she was just a little bit side character that wasn't really supposed to have any role in the books, but she definitely blossomed. And also Stanley, who is this neighborhood boy in book one that follows Henrietta around from her all of her crazy jobs he's kind of based on a little a, a real group of of boys that used to follow the real henrietta around and um they used to make sure that she would get home safely at night so i loved that detail so i amalgamated all of them into the character of stan and again he was just so supposed to be the, the comic side character at the beginning and now his story has hugely evolved. So those are just two examples of, you know, uh, people who are hired to, to be a, you know, a bit character suddenly became stars of the show. And I, mean, one of the things that, you know, impressed me about the book, which is something I look for in, in, you know, the best historical uh, mysteries and thrillers and romances is, you know, convincing period detail in a sense of the author, uh, has put their time in to do the research. As you researched Chicago uh, in the 1930s, Illinois in the 30s, what surprised you the most about what you found? Um, hmm. I guess there were a lot of surprises. Um, various neighborhoods in Chicago have their own online historical societies, which are really have a wealth of information, Some sometimes first-person documentation. So that's really helpful. But I think just what pops to my head right now, just because book five is so much on my mind, is I had to do a lot of research into um, Dunning, which was a real life um, insane asylum um, on the Northwest side. And what surprised me was that I think it was the Milwaukee Northwest Railroad actually extended their track lines from downtown to almost right to the front doors of Dunning. And they used to run what was called a, a crazy train where police or whoever would, would put insane people, poor people, criminals into this crazy train car and ship them um, by train to to Dunning where they were basically hauled inside. And, and that was that. And when Dunning was eventually torn down, they found, you know, mass graves of like 30,000 people in, in the back. So it was a, a very, very terrible place. And one which I wasn't aware of until I started this research. And have you been to any buildings or properties in the area that are still around from, from that era? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's part of it for me is that I'm just, I've always sort of lived in the past and I've always been sort of attuned to things from the past. So like places like the Green Mill and the Aragon and um, a lot of the places I mention in the books I have been to, I actually had my launch for book three, I think, at the Green Mill. So that was, that's a sort of an old jazz club from the 30s, 40s, where, um, you know, Al Capone used to hang out and they have a special booth that was his. However, there's a lot of places in Chicago that claim to be Al Capone hideouts. But this is this is really one. Sort of like George Washington slept here. <laughs> so for many people, I mean, you mentioned Al Capone, that might be their sort of, you know, sort of reflection, reflective reaction or thought of, uh, association with the Chicago in the 30s. Uh, what would you say are the you know major misconceptions people might have about 
the era or about organized crime specifically in that time? Well, I, you know, I think that there is a there is a sort of um, conception that um, Al Capone, you know, ran everything, and I don't. As, but really, by the '30s, he was actually, and I this is something I didn't realize. By the '30s, he was actually imprisoned already, so that was tricky for me because I kind of wanted to have this mob element, and. Um, you know, that's hard to do when Al Capone's in jail. But I did find out that, you know, he did leave behind his lieutenants, which were called the outfit, I believe. And I was actually able to talk to a woman who was from a mob family. And, you know, I didn't want to give too much away about her or her her story, but she did confirm with me that contracts would be sold between mob bosses. And um, that was just sort of a guess on my part. And she confirmed that that was true. So that was good because that kind of is, is one of the things that, you know, comes into play a little bit in, in books four and five. So I, you know, there was an influence, but I think a misconception is that it, it was, it was all Al Capone. I don't, that wasn't necessarily true. So uh, I, I've read uh, in a couple of interviews and pieces about your writing that you started out not really having an overarching arc for the series, and also that at one point you planned to sort of take a step back from the series after this current book, but instead you found yourself plunging into, into book six. Can you talk about what changed your mind about that and how it is to write without having you know, an arc or a Bible clearly in mind from the start? Yeah, it's tricky, as you could imagine. Um, I am a person, though, that does need an, an outline. So I do write a pretty extensive outline, and I can't really start um, end one book until I know how the next book is going to begin and what that next book is kind of going to be about. So that makes it easier to end one book. And then once I sit down to start writing the next book, I already sort of have an idea of where this is going to go. It's kind of like what I would imagine, you know, writing for a miniseries would be is you have all of these characters and you have all of these storylines going, but not every episode can, can be about every character and every plot line. So you kind of have to pick and choose and you have to think of ways for, you know, there to be a certain amount of drama Book five was very challenging because I usually have sort of a double plot line that I'm following, but in book three or five, I actually incorporated a third. So that was tricky to weave together. And I have sat down and outlined six, but um, I am actually working on a standalone right now, uh, which is also set in the thirties, also based on a true story, but separate completely from the series. So I'm going to try to pitch that very soon and see where that goes. And you also, in addition to your, your novel writing, have a blog. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, the blog is really, it is, is an amazing little creature of its own. Um, I originally started it to support the novels, but it actually has now taken on its a life of its own and has its own little following separate from the books. Um, it's basically, it's called uh, Novel Notes of Local Lore. And, and I take every week a story of a forgotten Chicago resident and I tell their story. I do change the names um, 
to protect people. But the stories themselves otherwise are completely true. And they are all stories that I heard while I was working in the nursing home. And these, I mean, you know, they say truth is strangers of fiction. And that's really the case that the life that some of these people had, and they're just ordinary people. I, you know, sometimes I tell writing groups, if you're stuck for ideas, go sit in a nursing home for a couple of weeks and you will have more story ideas than you could ever, ever, ever <laughs> imagine. So yeah, it's, and I've actually had many, many readers write to me and ask it when I will compile the blog into a book. <laughs> I don't know, someday, maybe right now I don't have time, but for now they're just all on my website. So what sort of work did you do in the nursing home? Well, I started out um, as the admissions director, I totally unqualified, but I was really terrible at that job because I didn't realize that my job was to sell beds, to be a sort of ambulance chaser and schmooze hospital discharge staff and all that sort of thing. Because I, I just loved the residents. I was never in my office, never answering the phone. I was always out on the floor with the residents and talking to them and helping them resolve their, you know, roommate problems or their lost sweater or whatever it was. And so finally the administrator called me into his office and he said, you know, this isn't really working. I'm like, Oh no. So he said, you know, um, why don't we, he didn't fire me thankfully, but he said, why don't we move you into social service? And that was a dream job for me because, um, now it was my job to be with the residents and I was supposed to interview them when they came in and write like a paragraph for the chart. And I would write pages and pages and pages and pages. I'd sit with them for at least a week, maybe two, getting their story and hearing all the stories that the, their families, I'm sure, were sick of hearing. And I would put them all on the chart. And, you know, I never got chastised for it. And in fact, the staff loved them. And they said, you know, oh, we read the latest one. I'm like, I know, wasn't it sad? So they loved it. I loved it. I think the residents really loved being interviewed. So it, it was a win-win for several years. Yeah, I, I was sort of following up on that because, you know, between your experience working in a nursing home and the setting of your novels, uh, you know, in the 1930s when economic times were so tough that it sort of lacked the, uh, you know, heroic drama of, say, of war just sort of put me in mind of the challenges sort of people are facing now and dealing with, with the pandemic. And I'm wondering, you know, I don't want to sort of stretch things too far, mm -hmm. but if there's anything that you're, you learned about the way people got by and managed in that era that you think has relevance for today? Well, I think there was just that sense of camaraderie, you know, and I think that that's what, going back to one of your original questions, I think that that's what's so appealing about the war years is that people see this as a time when um, people banded together, you know, against a common enemy. But really, that was the, the truth in the 30s as well. It was, you know, poverty and the depression that they were banding together against. And there was a lot of um, community spirit, like in book one, this is based on real life. Uh, Henrietta, the character of Henrietta would have to go and stand in, you know, food lines. And um, she didn't mind so much because it was a time to gossip with neighbors and find out what was going on. And they would trade each other um, for different, you know, if they had too much sugar, they would trade with somebody else for, you know, maybe some cheese or whatever. And one gentleman, I remember 
told me that when it was very hot, and actually several residents in the nursing home would tell me that when it was very, very hot, they would all go out and sleep on the beaches of Lake Michigan and not worry about, you know, being mugged or robbed or killed or whatever. And that, I mean, to me, that's the epitome of, of a community that feels safe and supportive of each other. Of course, there was nasty stuff, stuff that was going on, same as now, but there is that, that similarity. And weirdly, um, most of the residents that I interviewed had at least one member. It was rare f- for them to not have someone in their family that died of the influenza um, that hit the country during those years. So that's kind of a freaky, freaky similarity. Well, thank you for your time today, Michelle. The book again is Child Lost, a Henrietta Inspector Howard novel from She Writes Press. Thank you, listeners. Please join us again soon for another LitCast.